This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. As part of our pioneering month here on Broadcast, we had a hangout with Matt Simmons where we were talking about his experience with his wife Jo and his four young girls moving to Amsterdam and planting a church. We were learning what it means to be a pioneering family and the impact such a move can have on the kids, on the church and on the whole family life. You can find the full notes on this episode plus details about all our upcoming hangouts at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 46. So here is our hangout with Matt Simmons. Hiya, hiya Matt. It's good to see you. It's good to interview you. Um, Just so that people get an understanding of... um, at who you are and uh, your family. Why don't you just give us a little synopsis of uh, your children, your wife, and, uh, uh, and, and where you're living. Yeah, I'm uh, Matt, obviously, married to Jo. Um, sorry she couldn't be here this evening. Well, hopefully she'll arrive at some point, but uh, she had to go into the kids' school for a couple of meetings. We've got four uh, daughters. Um, our youngest is... Uh, Millie, she's uh, four, coming up to five years old. Uh, Anwin is uh, six, uh, seven in a, a month's time. Lydia's, oh, I've got to do this well. Okay, she's eight, coming up towards nine. And Ellie is 10, heading on towards 11. Uh, we moved to Amsterdam from the Netherlands, uh, from, we moved here in the Netherlands, Amsterdam, uh, two years ago from Brighton, England. So our kids would have been obviously two years younger. So Millie would have only been two at that point. Uh, Ellie, our oldest, would have been eight. So that's a brief synopsis of who we are. Fabulous. And fabulous to get the ages. I've got three. I would have uh, done well to do what you've done. So um, just give us a little bit of a background then before we kind of uh, talk a little bit about how your family have made the transition. Of How did you think about going to Amsterdam? What was the kind of history to get you to Amsterdam? Yeah, Joe and I had talked about pioneering and church planting even um, from from when we very first met from before we were even married. It's something that we talked about and separately God had put on our hearts. Um, and then as we, we, we got married in the kind of the early years of our marriage, we dreamed about it and came up with ideas and plans. Um, uh, and we were in Bedford at the time. We moved to Brighton to join CCK Church across the King of Brighton. I was responsible for running uh, New Day, which is a big youth event that New Frontiers runs, a kind of week conference every summer. Um, and I did that for about 10 years. And um, we, some of those kind of dreams that we had began to get a little bit squashed, and God suddenly dramatically broke in about five years years ago now and spoke to us quite uh, uh, directly and kind of shook us up a little bit, um, but particularly about moving to um, mainland Europe, to continental Europe, to, to be involved in church planting, um, which was, we'd always assumed it would either be somewhere in England or even further overseas. We never actually thought of Europe at all. So it came as a bit of a surprise. 
And then God began to speak to us about the Netherlands. And we kind of just picked Amsterdam as it's the first place you think of when you think of Holland. You think, well, obviously Amsterdam. So we came here, spent a weekend here uh, just nearly five years ago. Um, loved it, loved the city, loved the people. Um, came back, talked to our elders in Brighton, and they said, great, but just calm down a second, hold on. Uh, and we, we spent uh, a few years there just sort of training in leadership and preparing, getting ready to go, um, taking on different responsibilities in the church. And then we, we kind of finally up sticks to move here in July 2014, so two years ago. Very good. I often get asked the question, because we've moved three children around the country to church plant, how do you prepare the children, and especially going overseas, how did you kind of prepare four girls for the transition to go uh, to Amsterdam? Yeah, well, fortunately, we went through this a journey where the church were in Brighton, CCK, uh, about this sort of time that God first began to provoke us, it, it went multi-site, so from one location to several across the city. We joined kind of one of the new sites that was being launched. Um, and as though, uh, as, as, as grown-ups, we, we, we were able to kind of handle the concept that this is, we're all still the same church. For kids, all of a sudden, there's less people there. Some of their friends aren't there, and they're in a different building. So they kind of just assume it's a new church. That's just how they thought about it. So we use that as an opportunity to begin to introduce them to the idea of moving on. And, you know, we're here starting this new multi-site, but actually we want to go and start something new in the future. So we just, even before we were certain we were actually going to go, we started to kind of lay the foundation with them. And then when it, when it got to the time of actually leading up to, to seriously going, uh, there was a song that I used to sing in the kids' work um, about the, um, marching around the city of Jericho. And there was a bridge in the song that went something along the lines of, uh, when God says go, we go. When God says march, we march, et cetera, et cetera. And we just said to the kids, look, very simply, God's told us to do this uh, and we want to be obedient to God, just like that song you sung. Um, and kids are obviously brilliantly able to, to just find faith, even in simple things like that. So um, that's kind of how we try to do it. Um, over a kind of a couple year period, really. Okay, very good. So you moved with your family to Amsterdam. How many people did you know? Just tell us a little bit about the first two or three months. Yeah, so we, we, we got in our and we drove all the way from Brighton to Amsterdam through four, four countries. Um, it takes about eight hours. And we arrived in the city, and to be honest, we didn't really know anybody. We'd, we'd begun to gather a small team that we'd been doing a kind of a, a similar thing to this, like a Google Hangout, for about six months before. But none of those people actually lived in the city. Some of them were people in England who were also moving and people from elsewhere in the Netherlands. And I'd met one or two people who were involved in other churches, but only very vaguely. So we arrived not knowing anybody. And then another family from England moved about 10 days later. And then uh, about two months later after that, another family from England moved. And then we slowly began to gather people. But, yeah, we were literally the only people there. The kids started school uh, after a month. Um, and our oldest two went to a language school. So they had some English-speaking kids with them that they could connect with who were also learning Dutch. Um, but our Annie, who was four at the time, our third daughter, she just went straight into Dutch school. Um, she just walked into the classroom and couldn't speak a word of the language. Um, 
and 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 that was a, a testing time for her and for us and you know you're asking lots of questions of what on earth are we doing why are we here and the kids were struggling and missing their friends um and so the first few few months was really just kind of uh, um just kind of pressing through it trusting god that we were there for a reason uh, even when it was difficult even when the kids were struggling keep bringing them back to you know we 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 are here for a reason god said go so we're going to go and and um, just kind of speaking hope into them as much as we could. So what would be a kind of low and high time, especially for your family and your kids at that time? Yeah, there was a couple of particularly low moments, I think sort of dropping the kids off um, to school would, would, could be particularly hard. I remember one time about two or three months in cycling back and um, the, the teacher in, in, in our daughter's class wasn't very maternal so um she she would most days annie would be crying and the teacher just wouldn't know what to do um and we found that a struggle and there was one day i was i was coming home and i was just i was cross with this teacher for not really dealing with the situation and i was just cross generally that this was what our life was looking like at that moment and i remember i remember praying and saying god you know why what's going on um and god kind of spoke to me really directly from a passage in, in uh, Matthew 19 when um, the children come to Jesus and his disciples try and uh, shoo them away. And, and Jesus says, you know, the, the kingdom of God belongs to, to, to people like this, to, to children. Um, and God really spoke to me and said, but I, I care for your children more than you do. And I thought, oh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really obvious. But in that moment, it spoke to me really powerfully. Um, so that was a, a, a low point that God really spoke into. And then another time we... We'd been there for about just over a year, and our, our back feet, uh, we, we brought, uh, when we moved, we had a car, which we sold, and we brought what's called a back feet, which is like a cargo bike. Um, they, they're really expensive, so we had to sell our car to buy it. They cost about 1,800 euros, and that's, that's how we get around. We don't own a car, so everywhere we go in this thing, Joe does his food shopping in it. We transport the kids around, and it's like a people carrier on, on two wheels with no engine. Um, and after about a year, it got stolen from outside our house. We didn't have it insured. And we, it, it was, I remember praying at the time, um, God, um, you either, we don't have any money to buy you one. So you've either got to give us the money so we can replace this or, or give us our old one back. Um, and they reckon every year sort of 50,000 bikes are stolen in the city. Everyone cycles here and everyone seems to steal bikes. 50,000 bikes get stolen and they only find like a tiny, like 0. point something percent of bikes that get returned. Uh, and backfeeds cargo bikes because they're so expensive, they never find them. And about five months later, I was still praying this prayer, God, you haven't got to give us the money because we don't have it or we need our bike back. Uh, and I wrote in my journal one morning, um, I, I was just upset with a whole bunch of unanswered prayer of which this bike thing was symbolic. And I wrote from Habakkuk where it says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you're not here? I was really quite upset. And then I, I read on and then I wrote this down from a few verses later where God kind of answers Habakkuk and says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I, if I told you. God spoke to me and then the next day we got a phone call from the police saying that they'd found our bike, which was just a miracle, really. I mean, they never find these bikes and it, was, it had been locked up just really only a few streets away 
They'd obviously stolen it, locked it, and forgotten where they'd put it. So the bike hadn't been touched since it had been stolen. It was in, it was in perfect condition still. So God really answered our prayer. So that was kind of our main low point and the big high point. And after that moment of that kind of unanswered prayer being answered, then all of a sudden it like opened the floodgate and lots of other unanswered prayers suddenly began to happen. And it was kind of from then really that the church seemed to really begin to grow and in just lots of different ways, God began to bless us from that point. Okay. So tell us a little bit about the early days in the church. How did you, you know, what did you do? How did it affect your family? Um, yeah. yeah for, we had a simple strategy for the first one year, definitely kind of even for the first two, where um, Terry Virgo had, had, had advised me, I bumped into him maybe a week or two after we moved. He was at an, another event elsewhere in the Netherlands. And he said to me, when you move house, he said, when you move overseas, you need to uh, leave a year. It takes a year to move house, he said. Um, so I found that really helpful. So the first year, we, we, that was kind of our main goal, was just to move house and to settle the family. So it was a few months before we really did much. Other, initially, all we did was eat together. So for the first few months on a Sunday every week, um, sometimes midweek, we would just gather people who were beginning to connect with us and say, come out for food. And we didn't do anything other than just eat and talk to each other and just begin to build friendships. And then after about three months, we then just in our apartment kind of started a prototype service really where we did an hour thing. The kids were upstairs in a bedroom um, and we did kind of a short kind of message and a short time of worship. And then again, we, we would just eat together. So we'd probably be together for kind of four hours but the actual kind of service element was quite, quite short. So we just kept things really simple, um, tried not to put too much pressure on us to kind of deliver something that we just weren't able to deliver. Um, but we're, we were really deliberate in trying to, to gather people um, and try and just get our kids involved and help them to feel part of it as well. So, so how many people would be gathering? And, and uh, in terms of the Sunday, that's a long time on a Sunday. How, how did kids cope with that? Yes, yeah, so we were, I think the, probably the most we ever had in our apartment would have been about 30 people. But normally we would have been around 20, 25, of which maybe somewhere between 8 and 12 would have been children. Um, and we got a reasonably spacious apartment, but it was still quite a squeeze. Um, and, that, yeah, they were here for a long time. And often we'd have, well, pretty much every week people would be here on a Wednesday evening as well. So it does become quite tiring for the, for the family. Um, I mean, we'd, again, we kind of prepared our children by, we'd always try to have a home which uh, we'd have people coming in and out of all the time. So even in Brighton, most Sundays we'd have people round um, in the week. We, we'd often let small groups for many years, so we'd have people around. So the kids were kind of used to it. Um, but there were times when they just, particularly our oldest, would just need some space. And we'd kind of try and just give her some opportunity or say, look, here's some books or here's Dad's computer. Just go up and sit in the bedroom upstairs and we're out of the way and just... We just gave them lots of grace when they needed space and time, even even in the kind of the middle of things. Right. Wow. So, just uh, then, let's move it on a little bit. So, your kind of first six months, year gathering, 
a, a group of people. Did, what, uh, what was the next kind of uh, major change in terms of the church plan? Yeah, we, we, um, we spent a, a, a year uh, mostly in our apartment and then we, we began to meet uh, once a month in a venue in the city centre, um, which helped us to feel a little bit more um, uh, like we had a bit of a plan and a bit of a purpose, but we didn't really particularly gather anybody in that season. Uh, and then we, we, but we, we made the decision anyway to start meeting every week and do that in the morning, whereas previously we'd been meeting in the afternoon just because of difficulties with venue. Um, and it, it was still probably three or four months before we got any real traction. It was it was hard going at first, and there'd be some weeks where you'd look around and think, oh, goodness, this is we're kind of a small, small group meeting in this hall. <laughs> um, and it, it felt um, a bit of a challenge and... Uh, you know, I remember, you know, there'd be a few times our kids saying, oh, Dad, when, when are some people going to join our church? You know, and, you, and it would feel like, oh, you don't want to hear that from your kids. Um, but then little by little, we, we began to kind of just uh, add some people and uh, get a bit of momentum. Um, and, you know, you just have to keep persevering week after week um, and, and celebrate just the ones and twos that come along. Um, so... We would definitely we would do it with our with our key team. If there was even just one new person, we would make a big deal out of it um, and really celebrate the win. Um, and then that's that just helps you to kind of see what God's doing little by little. So, in terms of uh, just, I'm, I'm swapping the the questions a little bit between church uh, and your family. In terms of <coughs> holidays, in terms of being in a new nation, I know sometimes church planters find themselves so consumed with the new thing and actually strapped for cash um, and, and under a bit of pressure that sometimes they don't actually able to take breaks and if they do they're not quite sure how to or where to especially I mean I've lived in another nation for a couple of years just tell us a little bit about it in terms of the pace of you know that that side of your life yeah I, I think what we we tried to do was um, we, we tried to use it as a bit of an opportunity in some ways. I'll talk about holidays in a minute, but one thing that really helped us was moving from a big, busy church like CCK in Brighton and being involved in leadership there. Our diaries were just stupidly busy. You know, I'm sure many of you will be able to relate to that. Um, so we really used the kind of the first year, 18 months of being here as a big opportunity for us as a, a family and as a married couple, just to say, look, we've, we've got evening after evening where we don't have anything on. We've got weekend after weekend where we have no plans. Let's just make the most of it and really invest lots of time in our family and do as much as we could just to explore the city um, and, uh, and, and, and take the kids just to lots of exciting things. So we got passes to the big zoo in the city um, so that we could take the kids there all the time. Um, we got museum passes so we could go visit all the museums. So we just did loads of things to help the kids really enjoy living here. Um, and then when it came to holidays, it, it, is, it, it's, it is a tricky balance because you want to go home uh, to England and see family, um, but at the same time it can be a bit unsettling. Um, and it can mean that holiday becomes seeing... <laughs> driving all around the country trying to catch up with as many people as you can. 
So we've tried to balance um, doing that as as well as um, as well as taking some breaks here um, and just taking a week away just as a family, um, which we've probably not done as much as that as we would like to. Um, and we we had some advice as well to to not not take the kids back too soon to to England. So we left it a year before they went. I went back a few times the various short trips, but we left it a whole year before we took them back to try and make sure we could get them kind of as settled as we could before they went back and saw friends and family and things. Um, I mean, the good thing is it's not that far away. So we had lots of people come over and visit us, which helped. That's very good, very good advice. Uh, I've noticed even in the UK, I live in the north of England, when people come uh, to join us, even in the same nation, if they keep going home, actually it does get them unsettled. So tell us a little bit about Amsterdam and some of the, th- you know, enjoying the city, what's some of the good things about Amsterdam? Yeah, I think we found adapting to a new culture, there's obviously things that you miss. Um, so we, we tried to kind of compensate for that by finding lots of things that we could enjoy. So with just food, um, uh, things to do, uh, we just tried to build kind of a big weight of things that we liked to kind of counterbalance the things that we, we missed. And over time, it, it does sort of tip the balance and you really enjoy living here. So, I mean, one of the big benefits of a city like this is that it's made for cycling. So we cycle everywhere and everybody cycles in the city and it's just peaceful and relaxing. We love it. The kids love it. Um, I mean, part of just living in any big city is there's just so much to do for families. There's uh, zoos and museums and there's um, Amsterdam has loads of wonderful art galleries and beautiful canals um, so there's just so much to explore, um, and you get you get just to be a tourist in your own city, and we've just got that mentality really. Let's just enjoy as much as we can while we're here. Um, and in, in in Brighton, there's a few things to do, but you could you could kind of, as a tourist you could do the whole thing in maybe a weekend or a week, and you could see everything. Whereas a city like this, you can be here for years and still not even scratch the surface because there's so much to to enjoy about the place. So we just we, we, even now, two years in, we're still kind of living as tourists and just enjoying it and just embracing as much of the city as we can. No, that is brilliant. I, I've often said to people who go to new cities, enjoy the city. If you love the city, you'll love the people mm. and uh, you'll feel at home very quickly. In terms of language, you're, the way you're learning language or not, as the case may be, your kids, how does all that work? The, the kids... Um, the kids, looking back now, the kids learned really quickly. At the time, it didn't feel quick. And people had said to us things like, oh, after six weeks, they'll be fine. Um, and then when it got to six weeks and they, they weren't, I remember counting down the weeks, week by week as we went, and then getting to six weeks and realizing they weren't. And that was a, a shock. But they they do learn really quick. Um, but the way that kids do it is you don't necessarily tend to notice it all of a sudden you'll just you'll pick them up from school and they'll be talking to somebody in the playground and you'll think what where did that come from and it it just kind of clicks in all of a sudden um so now two years in they're they're all fluent speakers um i mean they would have been after a year i think um 
maybe uh, maybe probably even for the younger ones they, they, they got it even quicker it did mean that for their schools and studies they were a little bit behind because they'd had to focus a bit more on language learning so it took them a little bit longer to, to catch up I mean for Joe and I we we haven't taken any Joe's just started taking lessons now literally this week she's doing a kind of intensive course and then I'll, I'll do the same course but probably in the new year um, in the city here everybody speaks English and most of them speak English better than I do. So it's, it's, you don't need to, you, you can meet people who've lived here for a decade or more and don't speak a word of Dutch. Um, and the Dutch are really happy to speak English. You can plant an English speaking church. The three biggest churches in the city are all English speaking. And yet they're still attended by, by uh, maybe 50, 60% of their congregations would be Dutch. Um, so it's a wonderful opportunity. It means we can get, we were able to get started very quickly with that having, I mean, and that's, that's unique for most places you go, you, you, you don't get to skip that stage. You have to kind of invest in that, but we kind of got a sort of a get out of jail free card. We're able to kind of bypass some of those challenges. Yeah, very good. Just tell us a little bit where the church is up to now, the last six months, last year. Yep. The church has, um, as I said, we, we, we started meeting in a, in a venue outside our home every week in the end of October last year. Um, and from October through to the end of February, I think it was, we, we were pretty consistently sort of gathering the same number of people, some around 25, 30, including kids. Um, we, and we were having new people, but not in any but they, for various reasons, they just weren't really sticking with us. Uh, and then suddenly, I mean, when, when you're church planning, all you sometimes need is kind of one key family or, or an individual or a couple to turn up. Um, and then all of a sudden, it, it, it just gets a bit of momentum. People begin to stick. Um, so we've gone from in, in February having around, I think our lowest Sunday was the end last Sunday in January and we had 20 people, including kids. And then two weeks ago we had 51 people. Um, so we've, we've, we've pretty much doubled in size in about seven or eight months. Um, so far this year, we've had 120 people turn up for the first time. Some of those would be people who are just here on holiday. We get a bit of a kind of tourist traffic of people who are just on weekend breaks who want to go to church. But a lot of those would be people in the city who drawing us and checking us out. So things have, have, have moved forward really well. Um, we just, we felt like we spent three or four months kind of in first gear and then went from first gear um, up of three or four gears kind of in one hit. And are now, uh, now things seem to be moving on really, really well. So we're really pleased. Brilliant. We're going to have some questions in a minute. Um, describe that bicycle when you talk about going in gears. <laughs> when I've talked to you before... <laughs> Because <laughs> anybody not living in Amsterdam or the Netherlands probably still trying to figure out how many people can you get on this bike? What does it look like? Yeah, it's it's called um, a backfeats or cargo bike would be the English way of saying it. So it's got a box on the front and then a, a wheel on the front and then a wheel on the back. It's only got two wheels still, but there's a bench which you can sit two on and then there's a kind of a space in front where another one can normally squat down. And then there's a seat on the back behind the kind of the cyclist where you can put a kid as well. So when they're when we first moved, when they're a little bit smaller, we could 
we could get all four of them on. Now I could probably do three because they're getting a bit heavy. Um, and the bike weighs an absolute ton, even just empty. Um, but they're kind of indestructible. But they're, they're, they're a people carrier. They're like a kind of a big Ford or Seat thing or whatever, Ford Galaxy, but on two wheels with no engine. I mean, they're amazing things. They're great fun. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. You can find the full notes on this episode at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 46. Coming up next month, October, will be our multiplication month on broadcast. And if you go to thebroadcastnetwork.org, you can find full details on all the planned hangouts and resources for that month.